So good to see you all here today. I love preaching and being here with you all at Grace Baptist Church. It's exciting to see what God is doing. And one of the things that I think we need to be reminded of, and it's just this simple concept, just how great God's grace is. Isn't God's grace wonderful to us? And what can happen is what happened to those in Galatia. You know, Acts chapter 9 is a pivotal chapter in the Bible because a man by the name of Saul was knocked off his horse by a blinding light and Jesus Christ spoke from heaven and really drew the Apostle Paul to himself. And so Saul, who became Paul, when he was saved, really the whole world changed. That's probably one of the pivotal events in the history of the human race because God used the Apostle Paul to pen... 13 or 14 books of the Bible, if you include the book of Hebrews. But at least 13 books of the Bible, God used the Apostle Paul to write. And what we learn from the writings of the Apostle Paul is that salvation is by grace through faith. And so what does that mean? Well, first of all, the, the fact is that all of us need to be saved, and we'll see that in a minute. And that's because we're lost. We're lost in sin. We're sinners. And we're, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of the whole world because we're all sinners. And we're going to look at that some more in a minute. But we learn so much of that truth through the writing of the Apostle Paul. And it's a wonderful thing that God did that for us. And so the, the Apostle Barnabas, he sends Paul and he, he recommends Paul to the other disciples. Jesus Christ himself trains the Apostle Paul. And then as he's there at the church at Antioch, the church sends he and Barnabas out into, or sends him and Barnabas out into the world to preach the gospel and plant churches. So he goes into the region of Galatia. And so in Pontus, Antioch, and Derby and Lystra, and all of these areas, the Apostle Paul plants churches, leads people to Christ, and he plants churches. They're growing in the faith. And he goes back to, they go back to Antioch to tell the church how well it's going. So like Brother Strickland came and told us what's going on around the world. That's biblical missions. We talked about how wonderful it is to actually be able to meet and see missionaries. And the model for that is Acts chapter 13. That's where we learn that. So the Apostle Paul is traveling, but he starts hearing something. He had led these people to the Lord. They had grown in grace. They knew what the gospel was. But he started hearing something about them. They weren't living free anymore. Many of them were starting to crawl back under the weight of the law. And what was being taught was that you had to add these works of the law to the gospel either to be saved or to remain a Christian. And so God inspired the Apostle Paul and inspired the very words, inspired him to write these words and inspire those words, the Holy Spirit inspired those words, so that we can understand the problem. And so the first thing that I want us to see is that there is a horrible curse. There is a horrible curse that the Bible talks about. Let's start reading in Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. See that? Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Now that word justified means to be declared righteous. It means to be declared... So if you go and stand before the judge and you're accused of a crime and the judge listens to the arguments and based on the law, he says you are not guilty... The law has declared you to be not guilty of that crime. 
That's a good thing, right? You just don't want to be convicted. The problem is we are guilty. When we stand before God, who is righteous and who is holy, He must judge sin righteously. And as we stand before Him, we're guilty. So how can God say we're not guilty? Because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ paid our penalty with His death on the cross. And so that's why the Bible says here, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified or declared righteous by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Look at what it says. Very clear, declarative statement. For by the works of the law shall some flesh be justified. Is that what it says? Shall no flesh be justified. There's no one that can work their way into heaven. It can't be done. That's what the Bible is saying. And you ready for this? That's really good news. And we'll see why in a minute. So the Bible says in verse 16 again, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Drop down with me to verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. What does it mean to frustrate the grace of God? It's to prevent someone from doing something they desire to do, right? You ever been frustrated in trying to do something? You know, like for me, if I wanted to dunk a basketball, I'd be frustrated in that by the laws of gravity. <laughs> just, there's just not enough power to get this much weight up that high. It's not going to happen. I'm frustrated in my attempt to dunk a basketball. But look at what the Bible says here. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Listen, you can't stop the grace of God from doing what the grace of God will do. And we're going to find out why that's such good news here in a second. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Look at what it says. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If righteousness could happen by us keeping the law, then Jesus Christ did not need to die. It'd be empty. It'd be meaningless. All right, look at the next verse. Chapter 3 and verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. See, I want to know one thing. This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is such an important subject. Lord, please help us to grasp this clearly. And Father, I think that many people are living under a horrible curse, but you want to deliver us from that. Lord, help us to understand that today. In Jesus' name, amen. These Galatians, they had started living under the law again. And you see what it says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. Verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? See, here's the problem with the curse. Look at verse 10, chapter 3 and verse 10. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So here's, you know there are people that believe that they can keep the law. Seventh-day Adventists live under the law. They, they believe that you're still living under the curse of the law. 
People go to the Old Testament law and they act like that is what we are supposed to live under today. That is the curse. Because the Bible says if you violate the law in one point, there's 1,613 specific ways that the Jews interpreted that law. And if you, if you violate that in just one, you're guilty of all of it. That's a curse. Why? Because nobody can keep it. Nobody can be that good. You can't keep it. And so the Bible identifies that clearly as a curse. It is a curse because we know that the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. It's a curse because we know that God is holy and He is true. Anyone here ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Did any of you read that? There's a section in there where Aslan, the lion, and Lucy come to meet. She's thirsty. She sees a stream and she asks the lion to move and he says, no. She asks, do you eat little girls? He says, yes, and little boys and men and women and worlds and universes. She says, will you promise not to eat me if I go over there and get a drink of water? He says, no. I wish I had the voice. No. He says, no. She stamps her foot and says, then I'll go to another stream. The lion says, there is no other stream. She stamps her foot again and says, then I'll be thirsty. The lion says, then be thirsty. See, the thing is, that's God. People have this, so the shack, right? This, I thought we were done with that 10 years ago or whatever. Now they make a movie of it. And it's about this God who is not the God of the Bible. Not the God of the Bible at all. This is the God of the Bible. He is holy and august and righteous and scary. I know that because the Bible says to fear Him. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. And the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Uh, we were in that meeting I preached at in Florida a couple of weeks ago. There was a sign that said, on the, the huge sign on the side of a church as we are heading to the church where we're going, God's not mad at you. That's what it said, God's not mad at you. Liar, liar, pants on fire. If you're not saved, God's mad at you. Do you know that God can love you and be mad at you at the same time? How many of you think that God has less capacity to love than you have? Moms. Is there any moms here? Raise your hand. Moms. You ever been mad at your kids? You ever been mad at your kids? Yeah. Did you still love them? Maybe. At that moment, you're not sure. I remember when I was a kid, buddy Rusty Corb came walking in. And you know, he, was, he was like family, you know, so he'd just come in. And we had, I don't remember what it was, but we had done something. My mom was so mad. And this, I promise you, this is, this is the conversation. Hi, Mrs. Alter, how are you? I'm getting ready to kill my kids. That's what my mom said. <laughs> Can you imagine hearing your pastor's wife say that? That's just awesome. That is so cool. We drove my mother to homicide. <laughs> Whatever it was we were doing, man, she was so mad. But I promise you this, that if someone had come in at that moment to try to harm us, that would have changed immediately. You know, it's possible to be angry and love at the same time. The Bible says God's angry with the wicked every day. He loves you so much, He doesn't want you to go to hell. He loves you so much, He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. But if you are living in sin, if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, He's angry with you right now. And the Bible says you are under the wrath of God. That's a very serious thing. It's a very serious thing. And it is a horrible, horrible curse. You know, there are people right now that know what the truth is and they're running from it, right? There are people that are following God and there are people that are running from God. There's not, there's not any other kinds of people. Everyone knows what the truth is. Everyone knows that they need to be saved. Everyone knows that they're a sinner. Everyone knows that. 
The question is, are they going to turn to the one who can deal with their sin? That's Jesus Christ. They know that there's a God. And here's the thing, and and we can see it in our culture right now. How many of you can tell? Well, um, I guess Melania Trump read the Lord's Prayer at 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 the campaign rally, whatever it was yesterday. Man, people went crazy. It's funny. I saw a tweet that said, um, it was reported on the news this morning because I, I don't know how to twit. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But I, I saw it on the news. And someone said, what are we suddenly some kind of creepy Christian nation now? <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, she really wasn't very bright to text that or tweet it, twit it. <laughs> you know, it's funny when someone's saying someone's not very smart for doing something that they can't pronounce, right? That's, that's not good. <laughs> but it's so interesting how angry the world is with God. So keep your place in Galatians. Go to Romans. This is so interesting. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So what's that talking about? So when you're saved, you're made spiritually alive, and there's a desire in you to do spiritual things, right? You love coming to church. You love hearing the Word of God. You love talking about things of God. Those are spiritual things. That's what happens when a person is saved. Verse 6, but to be, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind, now the word carnal, that means fleshly, carne asada. Some of you are going to go and get some carne asada for lunch. How many of you are hungry now? Now that I said that, can't listen to anything I say, Cazadoras, here I come. All right, carne, it's flesh. All right, so look at what it says again in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind is enmity. The word enmity means at war, at war. And you can see it all over the place now that whereas we used to have a predominant Christian mindset in the world, or I'm sorry, in the United States, it was, that was the thinking of the world. It, it was a Christian basis for it. Whether or not the people were saved, there was a Christian understanding of the world. Well, that's flipped upside down now. Now it's a pagan understanding of the world, and most of the time it has to do with sex. So it's just that's the only thing they think about either sex or what comes after sex kill the baby, kill the children, whatever it is. If you say anything about those things, they hate you. Why? Because that's all the flesh. It's all about the flesh. Isn't that, isn't that amazing how accurate the Bible is on that? And so these people that mind the flesh, they are literally at war with God. They're at war with God. So I was in Chicago. Jacob and I went to Chicago to the car show. Then we went downtown to eat. And while we're driving around downtown, there's this big Planned Parenthood there. And I thought how fun it would be to just open up the door and start yelling at them that they're killing children. But I wonder how people would behave. I wonder how people would behave in that because they hate the truth. 
they hate God. How many of you are you're, you're seeing that hatred bubble up to the top? All over the place now. They hate God. Why is that? Why is it? Because they, according to the book of Romans, they can't even understand the things of God. There's no way for them to know. They know there's a God. They know that they're at war with Him. It's a curse to live that way. So now let me ask you a question. Would you be willing to give a testimony right now? No, not that testimony, the real one. About the stuff that you... How many of you know that you're saved? You know that you're a Christian, right? The stuff that you really think. The stuff that makes you blush at night. The stuff where you realize your own, as a Christian, as a, as a saved person. Remember what a Christian is. It's a person who has been saved. You're born again. You've realized that you're a sinner. You've realized that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin. And you ask Him to save you because you can't save yourself. The works, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You can't save yourself. The law can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can. Well, those of us who've experienced that, who've come to that point in time where I was lost, now I'm saved because Jesus Christ saved me, not because I did anything. I just received the free gift that He gave me. And you can't earn a gift. I just received it. I took the gift that Jesus Christ gave me, and I'm saved. And yet, there are times when it's time for me to preach, and I think, oh, God, how can I preach? I know what a sinner I am. How can I do this? And all of us, if we were going to give a testimony, we'd say, man, I know I fail. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I know that it seems the harder I try, the harder it gets, and I, I just can't do the things that a Christian is supposed to do. And I have all these ideas in my mind built up about what a Christian is supposed to be, and I just can't make it. Do you sometimes think, oh, my, oh, my. I don't even know if I'm saved. A Christian wouldn't think like that. A Christian wouldn't do that. We play the game that Jesus came to stop us from playing. What are we doing? We're crawling back under the curse. You know, I remember we did a men's retreat at the church when I worked there in Oklahoma. And the preacher was up there preaching and all the things were going on. And it was an amazing service. There's people packed into the auditorium. And then someone, the preacher, Gave the invitation. And so I was standing up against the back wall. There weren't any seats, so I was standing up against the back wall. And I saw a man, he was probably in his late 60s, early 70s. He was standing, or he was sitting on the back row. They were standing. And I saw him, he was just weeping. So I went up and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Sir, can I pray with you? And he was a salvation message. And I said, Do you need to be saved? Are you saved? Do you need to be saved? And he said, I can't be saved. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. I can't be saved. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get through that. Do you know what the gospel says? The God, it's that whole, yes, I think many of you know where I'm going to go. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. That's the bad side. The good side is cheer up. God's grace is a whole lot greater than you think it is. Grace, grace, it's greater than all our sin. See, his problem was he was very, that man, his problem was he was very aware of his sin. But he had a faulty understanding of God's grace. You know, there's no sin so bad that Christ can't forgive it. 
There's no sin that is so great that Jesus Christ's blood can't wash it away. Now listen, that doesn't mean that the consequences for that sin in this life are taken away. No, no. What that means is that in eternity, Jesus Christ has paid for that sin. We as Christians, we can get to the place where we, we learn and we learn and we learn and we know the Bible says that we're supposed to flee from sin. The Bible says that we are supposed to, um, to be, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. There's a, there's a word, it's called antinomianism. Isn't that a blessing? That's not that you don't have gnomes in your yard. <laughs> antinomianism is the teaching that because we're saved, that you can do anything you want to, and that everything is okay. All right, well, when you get saved, you really can do anything you want to and still go to heaven. Man, that freaks, how many of you, honestly, that kind of freaks you out. Would you raise your hand? Just that idea freaks you out. And so anyone who has ever been, I've had that question so many times as a Baptist, people know that we believe in eternal security. And that means that once saved, always saved. And there's a group of Baptists called free will Baptists who don't believe that. But in general, most Baptists believe that when you get saved, you're just saved. And so people, people ask this question. So you think you could kill somebody and still go to heaven? Absolutely. I've probably killed thousands of people in my mind driving down the road. <laughs> yeah? And I can, I can, st- somebody said, well, you shouldn't do that. I know. <laughs> so it's so important that we get this. Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin. All of it. Can we just think about that for a second? How many of you are thankful? (laughs) I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Because honestly, my job is to study the Bible and learn the truth. And the more you learn about the Bible, the more you learn about the truth, the more you realize what a loser you are. Okay, I know that violates our self-esteem culture and all. But I'm just telling you, I am such a sinner. The more I learn about the Bible, it, what's really fun is when you're learning, you think that you've got it together and you find something else that you're not supposed to do. and Ah! Who can deliver me from the body of this death? Right? Our problem is, our problem is, as Christians, we forget that we're not under the law. That Jesus Christ has forgiven us and has cleansed us from all our sin. Isn't that wonderful? That is so good. I love it. Um, Let's see. Don't play the game of thinking that you are going to gain some kind of greater access to God because of your behavior. You can't do it. It's a horrible curse. There's a horrible curse, but there's a startling solution. Look what it says in verse 13, Galatians 3, 13. Christ hath redeemed us. Now, redeemed, he, he bought us back. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. What did Jesus Christ do? So the, the curse is that either you keep all the law, you keep every pit of it, for your entire life, or you go to hell. That's a pretty bad curse, right? It's a pretty bad curse. The good news is Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to keep the law. Because we can't do it. We can't do it. It's a startling solution. Jesus Christ paid that penalty for us. I like this statement. The love of God secured the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ did not secure the love of God. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The, the cross of Christ is not where the love began. The love is what produced and caused the cross. The Bible says, Him being taken by the determinate counsel, by the determinate knowledge and counsel of God. He knew every bit of it. The Bible says that He gave Himself. We have a God who loves, but He is also holy and He's righteous. And Paul tells us in Galatians that the curse, that's the stuff that keeps you up awake at night. It's the stuff that tells me, what am I doing? How can I teach the Bible when I know what a sinner I am? That God took that and put it on His Son and nailed it to the cross. There's a story of a young man and he had worked his life to be a concert pianist and he had a Finally, he's 20 years old. He has a performance at Carnegie Hall, and it was just an amazing performance. He got four standing ovations. And he's standing off on the curtain. No one could see him. And this young man was crying. And a stagehand said to him, What are you crying for? They loved you. And he said, You see that man up there in the balcony? He's not standing, he's not applauding. That's my teacher. And he had failed his teacher. And, you know, there are people in Christianity that would take an illustration like that and said, see, that's what God thinks of you. You think you're doing good. The world thinks you're doing good. Well, God doesn't think you're doing good. It's just the opposite of that. When God looks at you, he sees a child. He sees an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Do you know what God is doing when he looks at you? He is applauding And he's saying, I saved you. I created you for a purpose. I have gifted you. I have enabled you. I have empowered you to do everything that I have called you to do. Do you know that Jesus Christ is absolutely for you when you are doing the things that he has called you to do? When you do the things he doesn't want you to do, do you know what he does? He chastens you. How does he chasten you? He chastens you as a child, not as a slave. Not as an enemy, but as a beloved child. The Bible says that, that He chastens us as children. Why? Because He loves us. It's for our good. How many of you, when you look at your kids, they're out playing ball. You say, I hope you fail. They're running around the bases. I hope you fall down and skin your knee. No. You're out there. You've got, the, you've got a kid with all the coordination of a newborn camel. They're running the base. And you're sitting there saying, oh, look at him go. He's so talented. He's so awesome. Look at him. He's going to the majors. That kind of hurt a little bit right there. We do. Your kid starts talking. He's a genius. Brilliant. Listen, if we can love our kids that way, and God, who really knows the truth about us, He loves us so much more than we love our children. It's an amazing thing. And that is, it is a startling solution to the problem of sin. Jesus Christ loves us so much. It's just... I, I just, I can't even express it. 
But there's a frightening danger. So there's a horrible curse. There's a startling solution. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. But there's a frightening danger. Look at Galatians 3.1 again. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So we get the Spirit when we get saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Did we, did we get the Holy Spirit because of our keeping the law? No. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So here's what happens. We as Christians, we get saved, and we know that because we're saved that God wants us to do things. How many of you know that you're supposed to work for the Lord after you get saved? How many of you know that? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. We begin to think that that work makes us more acceptable to God. That's crazy. That is just crazy. Again, when your children walk into the room, you don't immediately look at them and say, oh, you need a haircut. You need to take a bath. You need to... No. No, I suppose there are some moms like that, and then they never see their kids again after they grow up. Let this be a lesson to you. But for the most part, when we see our kids, we just love them. What's the first thing you do when you see your kids? You give them a hug. You love your kids. Is that right? Why in the world would do you... Why would you have any understanding that your heavenly Father would love you any less than you love your own kids? That doesn't make any sense at all. And our love for our children is not based on their performance. Can you imagine? And, and we've seen the horror stories. You know, the kid misses the layup and his father beats him after the game or whatever. Well, that guy's an idiot. Right? And then all of us, all us men in the church ought to go and just beat the snot out of that guy. How many of you would participate in that ministry if we started that ministry here at Grace Baptist? Right? And I know there's someone here. I can't believe he said beat him. And I can't believe he said snot. But we're a different kind of church. <clears throat> so I know that there are people that are like that out there. I am so thankful. I am so thankful that God is not that kind of God. Because he knows when we're going to miss the layup. He knows all of those things. Man, I did that once. I was on a fast break. And I got running too fast. And I laid that ball up. It bounced about halfway back to the center court. It's terrible. I think all of us, all of us, did this happen here? Is this right here? I want to give a testimony. I can't move a layup. Um, it's, God, the thing about us is, so we're rooting for our kids. He made it, right? Here's the deal with God. God can never be frustrated. God can never be disappointed because he knows exactly what's going to happen. And yet, he is applauding us because he has given us the power. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But we forget that because we think it's all about our performance. It's all about our behavior. It's all about our ability. Do you know that God knows exactly what you can and can't do? He will never ask you to do something that you can't do. He would never do that. But here's what he knows. We're sinners, and we will always fail in the Christian life if we walk in the flesh. But if we walk in the Spirit, we have everything that we need to do what he has asked us to do. Do you know what the curse is? That we begin judging ourselves by a non-biblical standard. 
If I don't do this, God won't love me. If I don't dress this way, God won't love me. If I don't speak this way, God won't love me. And so what happens is religion becomes a curse. Our faith becomes a curse. And we get to the place where we say, I cannot live that way anymore. Well, you can't when it's fake. You can only fake something for so long. But I can promise you this. When God tells us to flee unrighteousness, do you know what He's going to do? He's going to give us the Holy Spirit to help us to flee that unrighteousness. When God tells us to love one another, man, there are people I just don't like. Right? It's so funny. Sometimes you hear somebody, I don't like that preacher. Well, I don't like you either. (laughs) Whatever. But listen, we are commanded to love each other. So how in the world are you supposed to love a preacher who would say that out loud in a sermon? And how in the world is that preacher supposed to love you who would say the other thing? How are we going to do that? Only, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is amazing. How many of you have a relationship with somebody that you actually didn't like at one time? Would you raise your hands? How many of you are married to that person? (laughs) Sometimes it's the other way around. I married them and then I don't like them anymore. God can fix all of that stuff. And this is what we have to understand. Our problem, we live under the curse. The horrible thing about crawling back under the law is we think Christianity is based on our behavior. It is not based on our behavior. Christianity is based on the fact that Jesus Christ loves us. He saved us. There's nothing we can do to make Him love us more. There's nothing we can do to make Him love us less. Nothing. And that frees us to believe Him when He says, I'll help you do this. The Bible does say, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing, saith the Lord. We're not antinomian. We're not people who say you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Now, remember, you can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter. You'll still go to heaven, but you will bear in your body in this life all the results of that bad behavior. God built consequences into the universe and because he loves you, he will chasten you. Your child can spill the milk. Your child can break the window. They're still your child, but they will be chastened for doing the wrong thing because you love them. When you love somebody, you won't allow them to continue in a destructive behavior. Right? Have you ever had to tell your kids, don't pick your nose? There we are, back to snot again in the service. (laughs) Don't pick your nose. Anybody ever see a parent say that? How many of you wish a parent would say that sometimes? (laughs) Right? Because it's nasty. You want your child to understand how to interact in the world. If this behavior is going to hurt them, stop that behavior. That's what God does for us, but he doesn't love us any less. And my relationship with God is not based on my behavior. It's based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me and whether or not I receive that free gift of eternal life that he's offered me. A frightening danger. But I want you to see this. There's an incredible power. Look at verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So the Apostle Paul, who was able to do miracles because he was an apostle, did he do it by, by the law? No, it was the Holy Spirit that did that. Do you know what the Bible says about us? If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The Bible says we're all baptized by one spirit into one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. The Bible says, know ye not that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? The Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, empowering us to do the things that he wants us to do. So here's the amazing thing. All that stuff that you've been trying to do, 
all that stuff that you've been trying to do. If God wants you to do it, the Holy Spirit will enable you. If you're trying to do it in your flesh and you don't believe it and it's fake, you're going to fail every time. Have you ever tried to... One of my favorite things, Jacob was little, and he told him, I told him to go get in his high chair because it was time to eat. So he climbed up into the high chair, and I'd forgotten to take the tray off it. And so he climbed up, and he's hitting his head on the, on the little tray. And being the loving and kind father I am, I saw him do it. Jacob said, I can't do it. Because he could talk when he's, you know, this big. He said, I can't do it. And it was really funny. So I said, Jacob, get in the chair. And so he tried again. He's trying to get, I can't do it. I laughed. I had him do it like three or four times. I think that's called provoking your child to wrath. And now you know why he's going to be an axe murderer. But killing small animals and stuff, it's amazing. Do you know that God never does that to us? How many of you are glad that I'm not your father? Would you raise your hands? You guys are glad. It was lots of fun, though. Um, are you glad that your heavenly father never does that to you? So when you have frustration about the Christian life, when you're frustrated because you say, I am not good enough, the solution is not yielding to sin. Right? The solution is believing God for the problem and saying, Lord, you know that I have run in to this high chair tray over and over and over again. And God says, I didn't put it there. It's so important that you get this. God wants you to succeed. He has given you everything you need to live the Christian life. You need to believe Him. You need to yield it to Him. You need to trust Him. And you know what you'll understand? The radical nature of the grace of God. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that He died on the cross for you and then sent the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in you so that you can have everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. It is so wonderful. It's so wonderful that He's done that for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father.